Good morning, church. My name is John Gwynn. I'm one of the elders. And this morning, we're continuing in our series, What About? We've been focusing on implementing the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at what about anger? What about lust? What about marriage? And this morning, we're speaking on what about revenge? The passage for today is from Matthew 5, where Jesus talks about turning the other cheek and loving our enemies. This passage of Scripture has been a cause of a lot of debate in the church. Martin Lloyd-Jones actually says it this way, there is possibly no passage of Scripture which has produced as much heat and disputation as this very teaching which tells us not to resist evil and to be loving and forgiving. So, this should be fun. I want to just go over a big idea thought for the passage today to start it off right in the front. This passage of Scripture can be really overwhelming when we look at it. In our flesh, what Jesus calls us to is really impossible. How can we get to the point where our hearts really want to turn the other cheek and bless those that curse us? If we follow what Jesus says in this passage, we give our enemies a chance to see God's love through us. And in this process, our hearts begin to become more like Christ. I want to go over a couple sections of these verses and talk about what they're not saying because there's been a lot of controversy over some of them. Verse 38 says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. C.S. Lewis referring to this passage of resisting evil and turning the other cheek, says this. Does anyone suppose that our Lord's hearers understood him to mean that if a homicidal maniac attempted to murder a third party, tried to knock me out of the way, I must stand aside and let him get his victim? We should always be asking in these situations, what is the loving thing to do? Another scripture says, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. This was really a great insult in the Middle Eastern culture at that time. It was one of the greatest insults. It would be like somebody spitting in your face today. And the question is, are we more concerned about defending our own honor or in representing God's love? Are we worried about our own offense more than representing God and being his ambassador? It also goes on to say, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. 
There's also a quote here that says, there is no sin in seeking legal remedies when we have been grievously harmed, provided that our hearts are in the right place. Love is the goal, even towards enemies. But loving our enemies and defending ourselves from legitimate harm are not at odds. Nevertheless, we must be careful. We fallen human beings often employ hateful revenge and legitimate harm veiled as godly justice. The first half of this passage talks about giving. Giving to those who ask. It says, let him have your coat, Jesus says. Go the extra mile. Give to him who asks. The second half of this scripture talks about blessing, blessing them, seeking others good. Love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Do these two things always go here? I think the answer to that is that they don't. When Jesus is saying give, he's saying that is one crucially important way of loving your enemy. It's not the only way. How can we tell? Offering help that perpetuates rather than solving a problem. Let me give you an illustration. Giving money to a family member who we know will spend that money on drugs. Another illustration might be you've been saving money to help a poor neighbor who needs money to repair a car and somebody else asks you for money that they really don't need. Should you give it to them? The answer is no. But this, this doesn't let us off the hook with giving. Giving, when asked, should be our default response. This passage can seem like a daunting task. So how do we get from where we are to where Jesus is calling us? How do we get to the point that we want to bless those who curse us and turn the other cheek. The first thing I think is experiencing being loved as an enemy of God. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You didn't befriend him before he moved in on you and saved you. The root origin of how to love your enemy, I think, is to experience being loved as an enemy of God. 
John Piper said that. You don't befriend him before he moved in on you and saved you. The root origin of how to love your enemy is to experience being loved as an enemy of God. Instead of seeing our enemies with hatred in our hearts, God can help us to truly love them when we remember that God loved us first. When we're, we're still an enemy to him, how can we think otherwise? Number two, love and pray for your enemies. Matthew 5.44 says, to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. This is just as much about us as it is about them. When we begin to give and pray for our enemies, it not only changes our enemies' hearts, but it starts to change ours. This is the process to get to where we truly do love our enemies. Number three, we are not the judge. We are not the judge. It feels like when we love our enemies that they're getting away with something. They're getting away with murder. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hasting upon them. You know, when we take vengeance into our own hands, we're playing God. Don't ever worry that you have to take vengeance into your own hands. God is a God of justice. Trust him to be who he is. Are we secure in who we are in Christ and what he's done for us? And it also says, blessed are those that persecute you. Your reward is in heaven. Let's show the world how free we are. You know, when I think about forgiveness, when I think about vengeance and opportunity for vengeance, there's no better illustration, I think, of that than the story in Genesis 45 of Joseph. You know, Joseph had every right to seek revenge on his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused of rape and abandoned by people he helped in prison. He later elevated to commander of Egypt under Pharaoh and used by God to preserve Egypt and the tribes of Israel during the time of famine. Joseph's reunion with his brothers was fraught with pain 
from their transgressions. Yet, with a vision of God's sovereignty over evil, he opted to forgive his brothers. The result was his brother's repentance. Let me read that section of scripture from Genesis 45. This is when, G when Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers. It had been years since they had seen him to the point where they didn't even recognize him anymore. And this is what he said to them. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not grieve or anger with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there is still five years in which there will be neither plow nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Do you think Joseph started out with this attitude towards his brothers when they plotted to kill him, sold him into slavery? I believe God worked on his heart over time. Through many trials, Joseph trusted God and was obedient. And because of this, God changed his heart. He didn't do it in a day or in a month, but over years. So, in review, how do we get there? How do we get from where we're at now to loving our enemies, to truly desiring to bless them, to willingly turn the other cheek when we've been offended. I believe it's as we discussed that experience, experiencing the love that God gave us when we were an enemy of God. You know, you think back to what I mentioned with Joseph and how much Joseph saw God's hand of faithfulness in his life. And I think it's easy to forget when you've been a Christian for a while how God saved us when we were his enemy. And I believe the more that we can get that in our heart, we can have love and compassion for enemies of us. Number two, loving and praying for our enemies. The more we take time to purposefully pray and love our enemies, it's not gonna feel natural, it's not gonna feel right, 
it's going to feel forced at first. But I believe this is something that God intends to change our hearts as much as it is to change the heart of our enemy. God is working in us as he works through us. And number three, we're not the judge. Trust him, put vengeance into his hands and not in ours. If we follow what Jesus says in these passages, I truly believe that our hearts will begin to change. Jesus has raised the bar for us in this passage, and the only way we can reach it is by allowing God to change our hearts through obedience to his word. If we follow what Jesus says in this passage, we give our enemies a chance to see God's love through us. And in the process, our heart begins to become more like Christ. You know, he's not asking for anything that he didn't already do. He showed us how. We look at the scripture when it says, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. And in Matthew, it talks and says, they spit on him, took his staff, and struck him in the head again and again. Jesus also said, they take your shirt, give them your coat. Matthew 27 says, when they had sacrificed him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. This is the healing that God wants to do in our lives and in our hearts. If we walk in obedience and grace and displaying the love that God gives us, Jesus will show the way.